I grew up in a large family and there were six of us kids in nine years. And so we didn't go a lot of places together because we really didn't hardly all fit in the same vehicle. But in the mid 70s, I'm in my younger elementary years and we are going to Six Flags. And I am just so excited because they are having a new ride at Six Flags called the Screaming Eagle. 1976 was the summer that it opened, and I was so excited. I had seen the commercials on TV. I had uh, seen the advertisements that they had put out there, and I thought, man, I've never really ridden a roller coaster except maybe at the school fair that only went, you know, about 10 feet high anyway or 8 feet high. And I am going to ride the Screaming Eagle. So we are get to Six Flags and just excited to be there. And before the line gets long, I decide, man, Dad, let's just do it. And so my dad and I got onto, uh, got into the line and then got onto the ride. Somebody told me, don't get in the front seat. So I didn't get in the front seat. We sat in the second car. And you get in, they put the, uh, the, the bar down. And then click, 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 and you go up, 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 up. And then it kind of releases. You go around a corner. And I looked down and thought, dear Jesus, I have made a terrible mistake. <laughs> and I held on to that bar is tight as I could, and I leaned into my dad as far as I could, and he had his arm around me, and I just tried to nuzzle up into his armpit as best I could, and I held on, and for the next 60 seconds, I was in sheer terror, and then it was over. A roller coaster. You know, as we look at life, it has a lot of ups and downs. We look at this year, how it began. Man, the stock market up, 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 and then it comes crashing down. Unemployment was down, and then it started to go up. We've watched all kinds of challenges surrounding the, the COVID situation, and, and how can we flatten this curve, and now the numbers are going back up, and how can we get them to go down? And then we look inside people's lives. I was talking with a minister yesterday, and talking about the challenges that uh, marriages have had during COVID as husband and wife have experienced being together all day in some instances because they're working from home, the challenges of finances that have come along the way, the stress of trying to teach your kid everything that they need to know because they're not getting it online and all of these kinds of things. Life has its ups and downs. And yet when we, when we look at this big picture of how everything works, that, that's the way all of our life is going to be. Our life is going to have some amazing highs and times when we just are so blessed and on a mountain and feel close to God and everything is beautiful and everything seems sunny. And then we're going to hit valleys in our life where we wonder if we'll ever get out again. We see this type of life pictured in the life of Joseph as well. As we think about this series called Hang On for the Ride, we're going to look through the life of Joseph. And today, I want us to think about when life goes up, but then it comes 
down. So take your Bibles this morning and turn me to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. And uh, we're going to jump in and, and take a look at the life of Joseph. And we're going to stay with this for the next few weeks. I want to encourage you uh, to be with us. Grab your phone, keep it open to Genesis 37 or your Bible, and let's jump in. Genesis chapter 37, pick up with me in verse number 1. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flocks with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report to them, to his father. So we told on some of his stepbrothers. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic or a robe, a coat of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. And with that, let's pray. God, I, I ask that you would speak to us uh, and Lord, for, for those maybe who are at that downtime in their life especially, or that time of unknown, or that time of uncertainty, maybe there's just a deep-seated feeling of anxiety or dissatisfaction. Lord, I pray today that we would just see your hand. God, help us to see how you work. And Lord, though we recognize and realize it's not always fun. It's always for our good and for your glory. So help us to depend on you today. In your name, amen. From Genesis chapter 37 through chapter 50, Joseph is the dominant character and the, the main... Uh, featured performer, if you will, of this section. As we look at his life, this introduces us to uh, Joseph. He is the son of Jacob. Jacob has other sons as well from other wives. These sons will make up the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph is one of his sons. And as we think about Jacob in his life, and we think about Joseph, we find that Joseph, being the son of Jacob's old age, is loved by his father. He is his father's doting uh, little boy that maybe can do no wrong or uh, maybe just has this utter affection that his brothers have not seen or experienced from father. And we also see that Joseph is given a coat or a robe of many colors. And this robe is going to kind of allow Joseph to, to stand out from his brothers as being the object of his affection. If we could take a quick side note here, for those of you who are parents or grandparents, there are always challenges when you seek to favor one child or one grandchild over others. This can cause real dysfunction in a family, and that's exactly what we find in Jacob's family. Severe dysfunction because they have a father who doesn't treat everyone the same. And not only he doesn't treat them, it's that he doesn't treat them the same, but that he gives Joseph this robe that shows that he is the favorite. Now, some of you kind of had the 
uh, the Smothers Brothers uh, kind of thought that mom always liked this one best, or this one was always favorite, and 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 the other brothers and sisters sometimes grow up feeling like, hey, what is what's up with me? So that his brothers had this hatred for him. Now, as we look at the story of Joseph over the next few weeks, I, I want us to think about it kind of in three lights. This is going to be an amazing drama of Joseph's life. Joseph is the one who's loved by his father and hated by his brothers. He's ultimately betrayed. They tell lies about him. He's uh, sold into slavery. He goes down into slavery. There's a seductress who rises up and then he goes to jail and then he rises up after telling a dream and goes to be second in command of all of Egypt. I mean, this has the makings of an amazing soap opera. And you know, on soap operas, they always have that moment where they stop and there's just the gleam in someone's eye. There's so many moments in this story that gives you just the opportunity to stop and and leave you kind of hanging on the cliff to find out what's going to happen next. But this is not just a drama. We find that behind the, the message and story of Joseph, there is a great theological foundation of God's sovereignty and God's providence. This is an amazing picture as of how God works in someone's life through challenges, through difficulty, through uh, sin against them, through betrayal to ultimately fulfill his sovereign and providential purpose in someone's life. It is amazing. And if you read this in light of the theology of who God is and how God works, it causes you to step back and say, wow, our God is amazing. But we also look at the life of Joseph in the light of the foreshadowing of God's son, Jesus. We find that Joseph was loved by his father and obedient to his father's will. He was hated by his brothers. Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. He was hated by his brothers and betrayed by them so that he would suffer unjustly. And as he suffered unjustly, he would ultimately rise then to a place where he would save and be the key of salvation for his whole family. We see a foreshadowing of the picture of Jesus in this life of Joseph. So we see this amazing drama and we see this great theological picture of who God is. And then we see this foreshadowing of who Jesus is and what Jesus was going to do in bringing salvation to his people. It is an amazing, amazing section of scripture and one that we need to think about quite often as we look back at our own life. Because all of us will have moments when our life comes crashing down. And that's what we find in Joseph's life. Ultimately, as we close today, his life is going to be down, down, down. But God's going to work it to bring him up, up, up. I think if we would look at one key in the life of Joseph, and he would teach us one lesson to think about for our life today, through the life of Joseph, I believe that we are challenged to depend on God. 
Through the life of Joseph, we are challenged with this one thought. I am to depend on God. It is not up to me. It is not my great intellect, my great oratory, my great heart, my great skill. It is a picture of how God works, and we simply have to trust Him. Just like those roller coasters, we lean in and hang on, just like I did. Joseph teaches us to lean in and hang on. So let's think about depending on God, and I want to throw three challenges to you today. First off, you need to depend on God when God places a calling on your life. You need to depend on God when when you receive this call from God, this this moving of your heart as God's leading you and God's calling you to do something. Now, I mentioned in verse number five, as we read earlier, that Joseph had a dream. So let's think about this first dream that he has, his first dream in the response. Notice with me in, in chapter 37, verse five. Now, Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. So here's his dream. The first dream is this. He and his brothers, the picture is, is they're out in this field and they all cut these stalks of grain. So they bundle them up and they tie them up and one is called a sheaf and many of them are called sheaves. So Joseph's sheaf is there and his brother's sheaves are there and all of his brother's stalks of grain that are tied up in a bundle, they all bow to him. And his brothers know exactly what it means because in verse 5, after he tells them that he has a dream, it says that they hate him even the more. And in verse number 8, we find that this hatred goes on and continues to fester. Notice verse 8. Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams. Joseph has a dream. And it's clear that as we look through Joseph's life, this dream is from God. God's placed a calling on his life, a place of leadership and influence in his life. God has a specific plan for Joseph. And Joseph is going to be a leader. He's going to be an influencer. He's going to be a man who's going to wield authority. And his sheaf is standing and his brothers bow to him. And they know what it means and they hate him. Then Joseph, in beginning in verse number nine, has a second dream. And in the second dream, it says that the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars then bow to him. And now, not only are his 11 brothers into play here, but so are his mom and dad. So his mom and dad and all of his brothers are going to bow to him and his brothers hated him for the first dream and ultimately dad hears about the second dream and notice with me down in verse number 11-ish, verse number 10. He told his father and his brothers and his father rebuked him saying, what is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall your mother and I And your brothers come to bow down to the earth before you. And then notice verse 11. And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. The second dream. Now, there are people who think Joseph was being very arrogant as he shared these dreams. But the picture is, is that there's no, there's no picture of rebuke against Joseph. Now, uh, Jacob says, oh, you know, or your mom and I and all your brothers, we're going to bow to you. But can I tell you, Jacob spent most of his life living in the flesh anyway. 
And so I don't think that you can take that as a rebuke from the Lord. It doesn't ever give the picture from, from a biblical perspective that Joseph was wrong in sharing these dreams. But his brothers knew what this meant, and they did not like it at all. I, do you remember your dreams? There are a lot of times I forget my dreams now. I don't remember very much, except sometimes you wake up like at four or five in the morning and you just kind of doze off for a few minutes. Then you really have freaky dreams. It seems like the last half an hour of the morning. But when I was a child, I used to have this recurring dream. So me and my two brothers shared a bedroom and we were in bunk beds and then we had a trundle bed that we pulled out at night and we would pop it up and then we'd put it down during the day. But because I slept on top bunk, I was right across from a window. And in my dream, I closed the window, but the, the string to the curtain was always closed and it was hanging outside. And so this real boogeyman-looking creature used to open the, the, the curtains and look in. And I can still remember it. Still makes the hair kind of stand up on the back of my mind. But anyway, uh, the, the picture was that, that every time I'd had this dream and it was recurring, it seemed like I had this dream quite often as a child and I'd, I'd wake up and, you know, make sure the curtains were closed. But, but Joseph, I think, is just telling his dreams. He's just telling him. I, I think that he's understanding that God's got a call on his life, but it doesn't give the picture that he's doing anything arrogant here except just being a brother. Now, I have the joy of being an older brother. I have three younger brothers. I'm not sure my sisters always thought it was a joy to have me as their younger brother. There's something about a pesky younger brother. When when I was, uh, my brother Lee was two years younger than me, and I, I remember him, you know, those first days of elementary, you know, you had to lead your brother in, first days of middle school, first day of high school. You know, you always showed him around, and, and you know, when you're trying to be cool and you got your little brother with you, that isn't always the way you felt. I remember, and I've shared this story before, you know, when my sister, my, my oldest sister used to work at a restaurant called Racks. It's kind of like a Lion's Choice restaurant. And I, this was before the days of cell phones. And so I had to deliver a message to her or bring her keys or something. And, and, and so I, I bring it in and, you know, I'm trying to act all tough. I'm in the seventh grade at this time and she's a senior and I'm trying to act all big around all of her friends. And so I give her the keys or the message or whatever it is. And, you know, I, I point to her and say, man, I'll catch you on the rebound. And instead of catching the glass door that is standing right behind me, I turned and opened the closet door and took two steps into it. And, you know, it's just being a pesky little brother and trying to be somebody. And I think that that there's more to it than just being a pesky little brother here. There is a sincere and and deep-rooted hatred for their brother who was favored by their father and now is having these dreams about him being in a place of authority over their life and a place of leadership over their life. But God gave him a call. God is the one who put that heart in his life. And can I tell you, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 10 says that you're his workmanship, that you're created in Christ Jesus for some form of good works that he would have you to do to impact the lives of others. Now, you might think, man, God's really calling me or leading me or, or challenging me to step out and do something. And, and you, you tell somebody and they say, nah, that could never be you. you. You're not smart enough to do that. You, you, you can't, you don't have enough talent to do that. You don't have enough money to do that. And so we get, 
we get all of this around us, which brings us to our, our second thought. So we're to depend on God when, when you receive his call, but you are to depend on God then when you face opposition. And his brothers are opposing him through all of this process. As God is giving Joseph dreams and saying, Joseph, I've got a plan for your life. I'm going to use you in a great way. His brothers are there opposing and saying, look, we don't want to have anything to do with any of this. Joseph, you're just that pesky little brother that tattled on us to dad. And now we're ticked off at you. Now, notice back with me in Genesis chapter 37 in verse number 4. It says that his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers. They hated him and they could not even speak peaceably to him. The, the picture is, is, is that they're sitting at the table and it's like, Dad, would you tell Joseph to pass the milk? They don't even want to address, they can't speak nice to him. Oh, you're just a, a dummy of a brother. You, there's, there's, they do not speak in a kind way to him at all. And then he has the dreams and he hates them more. And then he has the second dream and they hate him more. And in verse number 11, as we see these attitudes, they grow into this sense where they envy him. And this bitterness and anger and envy that his brothers have for his life is ultimately going to come out. But let me just stop right here and warn you. If you're nursing anger, envy, bitterness towards someone else, it is going to affect your life and your health and ultimately can have a direct effect on your actions and impact others. You've got to be careful the attitude that you have in your life. And can I tell you the thing about attitudes? You choose them. God gives us the grace and, and the heart to deal with whatever we're going through. And he challenges us to forgive. And he tells us to love even our enemies. And so you better be careful the attitudes that you harbor in your life. It could just be that these things become a cancer in your own soul. Their attitudes toward Joseph, but then we see their acts of betrayal. Jacob has his boys, as a, a ten boys, out, and they are watching their flocks. They have moved from the land of Canaan up to the land of Shechem, about fifty miles away, and there the flocks are are grazing, and he's summons Joseph and says, Joseph, I want you to go check on your brothers and check on the flocks. And Joseph is an obedient son and says, yeah, dad, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. I can just pause for a moment. I think Jacob is a clueless father at this point, that he would send Joseph alone to go meet with all of his brothers who obviously have a disdain for him. But Jacob says, I want you to check on your brothers. And so Joseph leaves and he goes to check on his brothers and he comes, he walks the 50 miles and makes it to Shechem. And as he's there, he realizes that they're not there and he's walking around and, and someone says, no, they're, they're not here anymore. They've gone to Dothan, which is another 15 miles away. So now there's some 60 
almost 65 miles away from home. And Joseph could have just said, Dad, you know, I already went 50 miles, but I didn't see him, so I'm just going to come back home. Instead, what we find is he goes the extra mile. He goes the 15 extra miles. And then notice what happens with me in Genesis chapter 37 and verse number 18. Now, when they saw him afar, his brothers saw Joseph, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Joseph is kind of walking through the hills, and I was in some of this area in Israel last year, and he's walking through, and then they put their gaze on him, and they think, hey, look at that guy up there. That's Joseph. How do you think they knew it was Joseph? Was it his gait, how he walked? Was it how he walked? My wife was sitting on the back porch the other, the other day, and I was uh, walking uh, on our, uh, in our subdivision, and there were trees in the way, and, but she could just kind of make out my gait, and she said, I knew that was you. She couldn't see my face. She couldn't see anything from the shoulders up, but she said, I could just tell by the way that was walking. You were walking. That was you. Do you think his brothers could look a long distance off and say, oh, we recognize that gait. We know how Joseph walks. No, 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 no. You know what they see? There's the guy with the coat. Let's kill him. This vicious internal attitude that they have for him now is coming to find an opportunity that is before him and they see him off in their gaze and he's way out there. But listen, he's not in their gaze He's in their sights. They are ready to kill. So, Joseph comes closer. And notice with me what, what happens. They get a little bit closer. And they're discussing what they're going to do with Joseph when he gets back. And they're ready to kill him. And they're ready to, to uh, take care of this coat and everything else. And they're, verse 20, they talk about killing him. And, and then they decide they're going to throw him into... Uh, a pit. Notice verse 24. Well, pick up verse 23. It came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers, they stripped Joseph of the tunic and uh, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Notice how they mentioned the robe twice. And then they took him and cast him into a pit. <clears throat> it says, they, the, the picture is, is they didn't kindly ask, you know, when someone comes to our house and, and they're wearing their coat in the wintertime and I'll say, would you like me to take your coat? It was not a, it was not a gentle thing. It gives the picture of they stripped him of his coat and with abuse and, and power over him, they cast him into a pit and there they are going to let him dehydrate. They're just going to let him die. That's, that's the picture. They're just going to let him die there. They've got his coat and man, they have put that kid exactly where they want him. Notice with me the first line of verse number 25. I think this shows the, the sickness that they have. And they sat down to eat a meal. Joseph is there in anguish, crying out probably from the pit. Guys, no man, you can keep the coat. Guys, I don't care about the coat anymore. Let me out. There's no way for him to get out of a pit. No way. He's going to die there. 
Maybe mercifully an animal would come down and kill him or a snake would bite him or something because for him to sit in that pit for day upon day to dehydrate and die in that way would have been horrific. But then these these guys just sit down. He's calling out from the pit and is like, hey, could you pass the salt and pepper, please? The callousness of their hearts is absolutely mind-blowing at this time. And then they decide, well, as they're sitting down eating their sandwiches, some Ishmaelites, or they're called Midianites, come by, and one of them has the great idea. Instead of killing him, let's sell him off as a slave. And so ultimately, they sell Joseph into slavery. Notice with me, as, as we think about Joseph's life, they're sitting down eating a meal in verse 25. The Ishmaelites come by, and Judah says in verse 26, what profit is there if we kill him? Verse 27, come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Joseph is 17 years old. How many of you are 16 or 17? Put your hands up. There you go. All right. What were you doing when you were 17 years old? I'll tell you, I was driving a 1973 gold duster. I was playing in the marching band. I umpired Cory League and cut grass in the summer. I worked at a place called Bonanza on the grill. Went to school, hung out with my friends. After football games on Friday night when we'd march, me and a couple of my buddies, we'd go play country music in his garage. That's what I was doing when I was 17 years old. What were you doing when you were 17 years old? Hanging out, maybe working, going to school, doing your thing. Joseph is 17 years old. Now, let's, let's point back and say, Joseph, tell us about life when you were 17 years old. And he said, man, my dad asked me to go find my brothers to check on him. And they ripped my coat off of me and they roughed me up and they threw me in a pit and they left me to die. And then they went up there and had a picnic together. I cried from the pit. Guys, help me. There was nothing. And, and, and he said, I, 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 then they pulled me out of the pit and they tied my wrists and they tied me to a camel. And I was led down to Egypt with a bunch of Midianite or Ishmaelite travelers. Some of you know the pain of rejection. Some of you know the pain and the hurt that it feels when someone that you love has turned their back and totally disregarded even your own basic humanity. And that's exactly what Joseph has felt. Jay Strack is, uh, works with student discipleship now. For years he was an evangelist. He said that when he was a boy, his dad left and then had a, another stepfather and, and things weren't going smoothly between him and his mom. And he did not want his, his dad, his stepdad to leave. And he said, Dad, I want you to stay. And so his stepfather said, will you get down on your, your knees and beg me to stay? And so as a young boy, he got down on his knees and he asked his dad to stay. And he said, my dad ridiculed me and cursed me. And walked out the door. It's the pain of rejection. 
It's the hurt of the deep emotion that you don't know that you'll ever be able to recover from this. But let me just challenge and remind you, this is not the last word on Joseph. And a sense of rejection does not have to be the last word on your life as well. God, God can bring you through that valley. When, when you look to him and depend on him, God can lead you through the horror of even the most uncivil acts of humanity that happen in your life. I, I can't imagine this picture. Matter of fact, in Genesis 37, it really doesn't tell us too much. But notice over with me in Genesis chapter 42. Because this is years later, his brothers have come to Egypt. And notice with me in Genesis 42, 21. His brothers say, we are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. He's tied up quite possibly to a camel, his hands, and he's having to walk behind this camel, and he's on the way down to Egypt. Listen, this is a long journey. They're in the northern part of Israel right here. They've got at least a 50-mile journey before they get down to the land of Canaan, and then further to get down to Egypt. And day after day, he knows where Egypt is. He knows what's going to happen, and he pleads, guys, I won't tell dad about the coat. Dad, boys, I, I won't say anything. I won't tell dad anything. Guys, please. Don't leave me like this. You're my brothers. Reuben, Gad, help me. And there's no help. His brothers take his coat and tear it up and dip it in blood and take it back to his father. And say, Joseph, we found this. Joseph must be dead. Little did Jacob know. That when he sent his son away just a few days earlier, that would be the last time he would see his face for 20 years. And he would presume that he is dead. Notice the very last verse of Genesis chapter 37 with me. Verse number 36. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer and captain of the guard. Thirdly. As we think about depending on God, depend on God, listen, even when you don't see his hand. Depend on God, even when you don't see his hand. This is where Genesis 37 leads, uh, leaves us. Joseph has been carried down into Egypt. This, this 17-year-old kid who has his whole life in front of him now only feels the confinement of slavery before him. And yet, what do I do when I'm in a dire situation, a distressing circumstance, when I'm frustrated, when, when I can't seem to make my own way out of a pit, when life seems really hard? What we do at that time is we trust the providence of God. There is an aspect in which when we see this last verse, we say, look, the providence of God we know is at work. That means this. That God has all things under his control, even when we don't understand it. And that God is working and moving in ways that we do not see. Take your Bibles, because this is, this. if you miss everything else, listen, listen to this part, 
this, this part right here. Because Genesis 50, 20 is essential for us to understand if we're going to understand the life of Joseph. Genesis 50, 20. Take your Bible if you got it and mark this verse if you need to. And I think you need to. Genesis 50, 20. Joseph, years later, this should be a verse that every person at least knows what's about. Genesis 50, 20. As for you, you meant evil against me. He's talking to his brothers. You meant evil against me when you threw me in the pit, when you tore up my coat, when you sold me as a slave, when you put uh, my robe in blood and took it back to dad. You meant this for evil. You were fulfilling your own sinful and selfish desire. You meant it for evil. But notice what it says. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people. Could it be that the hardship you're going through today is part of God's pathway to lead you to a place to impact others for eternity? Joseph, ultimately, the one who was betrayed, rejected by his brothers, would be the hand that saved them. We think of the providence of God. But not only do we think of the providence of God, but we think of the presence of God. Genesis 37, it says the last verse that he goes to Potiphar's house. But notice with me in Genesis chapter 39, verse number 2. It says in verse 1 that he was at Potiphar's house. Verse 2, Genesis 39, 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of of his master, the Egyptian, and his master saw that the Lord was with him, that the Lord made all he did to prosper. He not only teaches us a message of the providence of God, but he reminds us of the presence of God. What is it that keeps Joseph from being hateful and spiteful to his brothers? What is it that keeps him from having that same heart, that same vindictive heart that they had? The presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord. And as we take our burdens, our sorrows, our rejections, our hurts before him lift them to him and cast all of our cares upon him, that his presence can work and move in our life and we can come to that place where though we're betrayed and though we're hurt and though we're frustrated and though our life seems like it has been a terrible roller coaster that has come crashing down, we can lean into the presence of the Lord and hang on. I don't know where you're at on your roller coaster today. For some people, the roller coasters are fun. For some people, they enjoy the thrill. I don't know where you are on on your journey of life. It's up, down, in the middle. If it's scary right now, if there's unknowns right now, if there's anxiety right now, if there's worry right now, I will tell you this. Joseph teaches us to depend on God. Lean in and hold on and he'll see you through. And that's what you need to know. And with that, let's pray.
God, help us. Help us to be people who lean in and hold on. Lord, you know where every person is today. You know where they're at on their journey. Some are at moments of crisis and sorrow. Others may be experiencing times of joy. But Lord, we know that just as the trials and sorrow don't last forever, we know that the joy doesn't last forever either. So God, help us to lean in and hold on until you come or we go to meet you. In your name, amen.